Well, good morning, everyone. Before I forget, I will thank you for your prayers last Sunday. Um, I had specifically asked for prayer for clarity of thought and um, because I was thinking and preparing for the evening message and um, last week went well in the evening. Spent the afternoon settling into what I thought I was going to speak about and um, in the hallway before going into the auditorium talking with the moderator I felt nudged, led, inspired, something um, directed to change what I was going to talk about and that was pretty disconcerting Um, but God was faithful and I know that wasn't because of what's in me and I know that your prayers made a difference in that. So thank you. This morning we're going to go back to Mark 11. We're going to go out of order. Um, Last week we looked at the second part of the chapter. This week I was drawn back to this passage. 2,000 years ago the the Jewish people were being oppressed by an unjust Roman Empire and they were looking for political solutions specifically a political savior who would deliver them. They were wanting a king who would save them from their political enemies. So they were in many ways looking for a political messiah who would return a political, physical kingdom to Israel. And momentum was building around Jesus. And many were starting to say, He's the Messiah, but meaning that from more of a he's that physical, political savior we've been waiting for. And that's the context of the passage this morning. We're going to read the first 11 verses of Mark chapter 11. Mark 11, verse 1. Now when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples. He said unto them, Go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it here. So they went their way and found a colt tied by the door outside on the street, and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, What are you doing loosing the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded, so they let them go. Then they brought the colt to Jesus, and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees, and spread them on the road. Then those who went before, and those who followed, cried out, saying, Hosanna! Blessed he is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. 
So when he had looked around at all the things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So it isn't specified here that these were palm branches, but we do read that in other accounts. And I found it interesting in doing a little bit of study that palm branches, I couldn't quite gather whether it was they were used as symbols of political might, but maybe more um, were known somewhat as being used for symbols of military victory. And we, well, we celebrate, do we celebrate? We at least have on our calendars Palm Sunday, where we consider this entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And these, well, I had read about a a generation before Jesus, or a generation or so before Jesus, people had also waved palm branches before another leader, someone named Simon Maccabee, who had led a military campaign to try to drive Israel's enemies out of Jerusalem. And he had a, a similar entry with people hailing him and spreading palm branches before him uh, and that was specifically in in honor of his military um, activity and then here we have Jesus coming into the city and we have people behaving very similarly and we know from reading um, in the gospels that there was a strong sense of people wanting a king that would come in military might and who would um, deal with their physical problems, their practical problems, their political problems, and that was forefront on their mind. Jesus' entry, though, makes it clear he's not the kind of king they thought he was. He's not necessarily the kind of king they wanted. He is unlike any other king, And he is the king they needed. And in a time when people were lining up in the land, well, I think about right now, we have people lining up in our land to um, say what kind of leaders we need and what kind of politics uh, they ought to have uh, across the ocean. There was a man literally crowned king yesterday. Yesterday was King Charles III coronation. I think that was somewhat what made me come back to this passage when I realized earlier in the week that that was happening, that here on earth they were crowning a literal king. And then thinking about the greatest king. We don't have kings in this country. We do have leaders, and we have a similar drive to what these people who were uh, throwing clothes and palm leaves and shouting and celebrating Jesus. Um, They had their ideas about what they needed from leaders. We're surrounded by that. We've got signs out along the roads, people proclaiming who ought to be in charge of what and why they ought to be in charge of it and what kind of policies and politics are really needed for everything to be fixed. Far above all of that, far above, we need to lift our eyes to the king who can provide what no politician, no policy, 
no president, no earthly king can ever provide. And I was struck how we need a king with authority and power over sin in this world. The first clue we have in this passage that this king is unlike any other is when Jesus sends his disciples to find a colt for him to ride on, and its owners are going to ask, why are you doing this? Um, the answer, who has need of it? The Lord has need of it. The Lord. That is a title for God. Um, it can be used, the word that was used there can be used more generally for a leader or an authority, but if you look at how it's mostly used in the New Testament, it's talking about God. That's what Malachi had written 500 years before this. Malachi 3.1, we have, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. The Lord whom you seek will come to his temple. And here we see that happening. I want to read a couple verses from Zechariah 9. He gets a little more specific in his prophecy. <clears throat> Zechariah 9. And we'll read verses 9 and 10. Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Zion, Zion is a reference to the people, the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Jerusalem itself is often referred to as Zion. Mount Zion is the most prominent hill in Jerusalem. And here we have Mark telling us that Jesus coming into Jerusalem on a colt as a fulfillment of what Zechariah had written five centuries before. And inhabitants of Jerusalem, rejoice and shout, because your king is coming to you. And the first description of this king there in Zechariah um, says he is uh, just, is how the King James and the New King James phrase it. That word translated just there would often be translated righteous, has that sense to it. He's righteous. He's perfectly just. He's the one in whom there is no evil, no sin, no injustice. He is righteous. Isn't this what we need most in the world? It's not just out there. It's pretty easy for me to think that the solutions to the problems around us are well, if I, if I just get honest about it, I can pretty easily think that sinful men creating policies and negotiating deals are going to fix things. We need something so much more than that. 
What we need is a just, righteous king with all authority over evil, over injustice. We need a king with authority and power over sin in this world. We need a king with humility and compassion, even for sinners in this world. So there in Zechariah 9.9, we also read that he is lowly. Just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey. Lowly, humble. Don't we all long for a humble king? So yesterday there was a coronation of a king here on earth, the crowning of a king. I thought at some point I might look at pictures or something, but I haven't done so. Um, But I have a picture in my head of what that probably looked like. There was a man hailed and honored, revered maybe even, maybe even feared. What will he do? How will he influence things for good or bad? I'm sure he was dressed in ornamental, regal attire, surrounded by splendor and pageantry, and I'm sure there were all sorts of other people around them dressed very splendiferously. That's not the picture we have here in Mark 11. Jesus is surrounded by lowly Galileans, rough working men. Men with calluses and probably not a lot of jewelry. Coming into the city in not riches, but really probably had more of a a sense and look of poverty to it. Not in majesty but in meekness, humble and riding on a colt. And we'll come back to that colt in a minute. First, I want to look at what Luke, uh, in Luke 19, how he describes this moment as Jesus rides toward Jerusalem. In Luke 19, (coughs) we'll start reading at verse 41. Luke 19:41 Now as he drew near he saw the city and wept over it saying if you had known even you especially in this your day the things that make for your peace but now they are hidden from your eyes for days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground And they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus knew that the people here were about to reject him and crucify him. And not long after that, Jerusalem would even be destroyed as a city. And what does Jesus do? He weeps over the city. He cries. A king who is crying passionately about the people he sees. Isn't this what we need? A king who not only has power over sin, but has compassion over sinners. Which, to be clear, includes all of us. Sin is real, and it's not just out there. 
in some ways I struggle with how it seems we can almost have a sense um, we as a parent, as a father, I try to put up hedges of protection around my family and around my children. I try to keep them from things that would draw them towards sin, would feed selfishness. Um, and yet, in some ways, I get scared isn't the right word, but I get bothered by the sense that sometimes maybe we feel like we were never really sinful. We were maybe just a little naughty, maybe just a little selfish. But God really didn't have to save us from much. Because after all, we weren't that bad. That's not how sin works. God is infinitely holy. And if I... have gone against him in any way if I have chosen my own path instead of his am I not infinitely guilty see it's it's so easy to to see the darkness and evil around us and maybe lose sight of the seriousness of sin in us because we can compare ourselves to the people who we hear about committing horrible acts of violence or doing terrible things we live we live in darkness and we hear about school shootings and murderers and, and all these dark and evil things around us. And maybe sometimes then the darkness In that process, I can so easily lose sight of the depth of darkness that is in my heart outside of the light of Christ. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the problem in the world is not those people and those issues. The problem in the world is not outside of us. It is inside of us. I read about uh, G.K. Chesterton years ago read an article in some sort of a paper or magazine or something that said the, the title of the article was What's Wrong with the World? And he wrote a letter to the editor of that publication and said, so the, the title of the article was What's Wrong with the World? And he wrote a letter that said this, Dear Sir, I am. Yours truly, G.K. Chesterton. We all, without exception, regardless of class, race, background, parents, number of Sunday school lessons you were in, we're all sinners who have turned aside from God and his ways to ourselves, to our own foolish, evil ways. And we all need that king who not only has authority and power over sin, but has humility and compassion for sinners. We need a king who can save us from our sin. Here in Mark 11, we have Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna is not a word in our vocabulary these days. We use hallelujah some, but I don't think I've ever heard anybody use Hosanna except when they were reading it from the Bible. 
The word Hosanna is an appeal for deliverance. It could be translated, save us. An appeal for deliverance, an appeal for salvation, asking, save us. And, well, it seems like they maybe had no idea of the depth of what they were saying. They knew that they needed saving, but they didn't know quite how much they needed saving from. They didn't just need to be saved from their political enemies. They needed saving, rescuing from their own sin. I want to read some verses from Psalm 118. Psalm 118, starting at verse 25. Psalm 118, verse 25. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord, and he has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. In Zechariah 9, we read, Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation. These people knew they had a need for salvation at a certain level but we're not yet aware of the depth of their need of saving am I aware of the depth of my need for the king of the universe the timing of Jesus entry this is Passover week when God's people traveled to Jerusalem to celebrate the day when God saved his people from slavery in Egypt when God brought his people salvation through the blood of a spotless lamb. And Jesus is entering the city with no sin in him. And five days after this, he will go to a cross. As I was thinking about this this week, I wondered, and I think maybe one of my children asked not that long ago, why do we call Good Friday good? I think it was one of my children. We need a king who will make a way for us to be forgiven by God, accepted before God, and restored to God. We need a king to save us. The story doesn't end there on Good Friday. The story doesn't end at that cross. We need a king who can give us peace with God. I want to go back to the picture of, of Jesus riding on a colt for a moment. From what I used to think that um, it was completely strange for a king to ride on a colt. From some of the reading I did, it looks like maybe it wasn't as uncommon as I thought for a king to ride on a donkey or colt like this. But the key seems to be when a king would ride on a donkey like this. If a king was going to war, he would ride on a war horse as a picture of power. But there were times when he was not at war that he would ride on a donkey as a picture or demonstration of the peace that was there. 
And that makes some sense to me here. When, when Luke tells this story, he notes the crowds didn't just shout, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They also shouted, peace. They said, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. He highlights that they were shouting peace. They saw peace in this king. We read earlier from Luke where we see Jesus was weeping and he said the things that make for peace. Back in Zechariah 9 verse 10, the second verse we read there, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. He shall speak peace. Jesus came in peace and offering a peace at a level beyond maybe what these people could even have imagined. When we see the scene at the end of Revelation where there are people from every... It's, it's a multitude too large to be numbered from every people, tribe, and nation, it says. When I look at the world today that can almost seem impossible people from every tribe and nation you have men and women in Russia and Ukraine kitted up preparing rockets bombs carrying guns I think of, I was reading about the Korean War again recently and thinking of what North and South Korea is like now and that DMZ between them and how little it would take to, to set off what is already a hostile situation into just a disaster. Taiwan and China and just, just all these pieces out there and you go every tribe and nation North Koreans and South Koreans shoulder to shoulder praising God it's beyond anything that can happen with even the most skilled negotiator the most skilled earthly leader could accomplish we're talking true peace we need a king that will bring ultimate peace with God that leads to peace with one another. That's not what people were expecting in a political messiah with, with military might. They expected, they wanted, a king who would, who would wield his power and overthrow Israel's oppressors. We're drawn to... As, as humans, we're drawn to rulers who wield power and crush enemies. There's something in us that admires that. But Jesus is a different kind of king. Isaiah 9, very uh, familiar description of the king, the true king we're talking about this morning. Isaiah 9, just want to read a couple verses here, starting at... Verse 6. 
Isaiah 9, verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. He comes in love and redemption. He didn't come... So I think of what they were wanting, the kind of crushing force that they were hoping would would come and work for them and would just roll over the oppressors. And I think of Christ coming in love and redemption and offering something different than just crushing but offering transformation we need a king who can heal our hearts last week we looked at the second part of this chapter and we won't spend time in it really this morning but I do want to I want to notice this lesson as Jesus went in cleansed the temple dealt with the situation in front of him Jesus saw the heart of those people in the temple. And when he saw the the sickness, the desperate need for healing in the hearts of the people of Jerusalem, he didn't stand idle. And we can look at news stories around us. We see headlines from around the world. We see the need for hearts to be healed and made pure. But it's it's not just looking around at the stories around us. What about my story? What about my heart? There's no policy or politician that has the answers to my deepest need and my truest issues. There's no rule or regulation that can fix my problem. My greatest need is not these things. I need a new heart. And there's only one king who can take sinful, weary hearts and make them new and pure. And that's this king we read about today, Jesus. He is the king we need. Where do I find my comfort? Where do I find the answers to the things around me that distress me? This king came the first time riding a colt. We're going to read a couple verses from Revelation 19. He came the first time riding a colt. One day this king is coming back, and that scene is going to be a lot different. I want to read Revelation 19, starting at verse 11. Revelation 19:11 Now I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he ju- he <clears throat> excuse me and in righteousness he judges and makes war his eyes were like a flame of fire and his head and on his head were many crowns He had a name written that no one knew except himself. 
He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. and He himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Is this your king? He will be. He came before to be crucified as king. He will come again to be crowned as king. And we read that every knee will bow. Is he your king today? My encouragement to you today is this. Crown him king of your life, not just because you know he's coming back and you know that one day all will bow to him. My challenge today is this. Bow to him now, seeing that he's the king you need. May God bless you. Thank you for your time. Can we have a song, please?